And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life. As an American nerd, I am your host, David K. Montoya. Welcome back, kids. It is November 1st. Wow. This year is almost finished already. Good grief. To me, honestly, it just seemed like yesterday that we were, you know, looking forward to the summer. Now the whole year is almost over. Wow. It's just... This whole year has just gone by fast. All right, kids. I have a lot of stuff. And honestly, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to go through everything. Um, I, I, I wanted to talk about some stuff last week, but I... I ended up spending it all talking about how great um, Halloween was. And, you know, a lot of people disagreed with me. I I was really shocked um, at the the emails that I got. I I received, it was like four or five of them in total. And um, there was just, there were some that did not like it. And they, they really... They thought it was, uh, I don't even know if I really want to talk about what they thought it was, which I didn't see it was. Um, I thought it was a great movie. And when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going to I'm gonna buy it. Uh, it's that good. All right, kids, I'm already digressing, and we're, what, a couple minutes into the show? We're not even two minutes into the show yet. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's take a look and see what we got here. And well, I'm looking at the headlines right now. I'm trying to figure out. We, like I said, we have got so much to talk about. Um, do we want to do comic book news? You know what? Let's do. Let's do some Star Wars news. We haven't talked about Star Wars in a while. Uh, I actually have some Star Trek news too, but uh, I'm, not, I'm more of a Star Trek person than a Star Wars. So I picked Star Wars. And this article says, Mark Hamill reveals a controversial new take on Luke's death. Now, if everybody remembers right, uh, Luke Skywalker died in Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. And a lot of people, including myself, were not happy at that. And he's been pretty adamant post-production about sticking up for the movie. During production, he wasn't too too thrilled about it. You can find it online. So uh, let's just take a scroll down and, and see what Mr. Hamill has to say. It says... Mark Hamill shared a new and very controversial interpretation of Luke Skywalker's death in Star Wars The Last Jedi. 
Director Ryan Johnson's hit film that was not a hit film. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to, to like jump in there right away. That was not a hit film. Most people that I talked to did not like that film. Uh, especially like the real Star Wars fans. They did not like that film. Okay, sorry. I'll, let me start over. Director Ryan Johnson's hit film is undeniably diverse, mm -hmm. with one of the most discussed aspects being the ultimate fate of Luke Skywalker. By the end of The Last Jedi, Luke has been shaken from his depression and has embraced his legacy, using his considerable power to trick Kylo Ren's First Order forces long enough for what remains of the resistance to escape aboard the Millennium Falcon. However, his presence on the planet crate is revealed to only be a force projection. From H2, A-H-C-H, H2, T-O. Uh, the exertion is too much for him, and Luke's body disappears as he becomes one with the Force. And then there's a, a show, the a drawing, I guess, someone did a drawing, looks like comic book-wise, of what happened of Luke, like a comic book adaptation of it. And then as we scroll down, we find out it's from Mr. Luke Skywalker himself. And it says, that's funny because it says, I, I, I did not know that Mark Hamill's Twitter handle is Hamill himself. That's funny. It says, the force killed Luke. You have to acknowledge the irony in this fate. Almost like an addict that kicked the habit cold turkey remained clean for decades, only to reuse it just once and then tragically overdoses that's that's wow that's an interesting take on it hmm uh while some fans love their send off for the characters others were infuriated with luke's withdrawal from the galaxy and his melancholy death but now hamill has posted a new interpretation of the ending for his character that makes his character about 90 times sadder. That's pretty true. Hamill shared the idea that the Force killed Luke. You have to acknowledge the irony of his fate, he wrote. Almost like an addict that kicked a habit, cold turkey remains clean for decades only to reuse just once and then tragically overdoses. And then it says the hashtag sad... Sad Skywalker reveals this to be more of a joke than anything, but that probably won't stop it from reopening some old wounds about the character's fate. Yeah, you know, that's that's actually not a bad interpretation or a bad idea of it, if you sit and think about it. That's kind of interesting. I like it. I, I, I mean, it makes sense. You know, you, you get used to using that power, that force. I'm, I'm going full. I'm going full nerd here, kids. But if you go 
and become one of the strongest Jedi known to man, you would think you would get addicted to the Force, that power. And then you withdraw from it, you know, like cold turkey, and you live a normal life, and then all of a sudden you do something insanely crazy like Force Projection. That actually, that does make sense. It really does. Interesting. Huh. That's... I mean, even if it's a joke or not, it's very interesting. It's, uh... I don't know. I I, I kind of like the idea. So... All right, let's go ahead and take a peek at. Let's see, we we did some, we did Star Wars, so let's go and let's do some X Men. Yeah, <laughs> I got an email about the X Men too. Yes, I'm going to talk about the X Men. I will always talk about the X Men, and I will usually become enraged with the X Men because I've been an X-Men since 1987. Uh, I've been an X-Men fan, rather, since 1987. And, uh, yeah, you can kind of do the math. That's almost 30 years, kids. So I I, I see these people. I've, you know, <clears throat> I want to say out of, out of the, the original 445 books, the first run, the Uncanny X-Men run, was, I think, 445. Uh, was it? Yeah, I think it was. I want to say I probably have... No, it's got to be more than 400. It's got to be like 544, I believe. Uh, anyway, I have like the first 300 um, in digital. So I, I've read them all, and I, I enjoy it. And I'm going to, you know, if, if it's something that I don't like, that it goes against my, my fandom, um, it's my show. I get to complain. <laughs> uh, that's just the way it is. Um, you can keep listening or you can fast forward. It's, it's all good. Um, or you can, eh, I might as well. I mean, yeah, it, well, I led up to it. Not meaning to but um if it's something that i don't like or you have an idea of something that you want me to cover or add into the show you can always email me at uh david k montoya at jazomon j-a-y-z-o-m-o-n.com or you can uh let's see i don't even remember the that's that's bad huh the email address for the show, I think it's mypubliclife at jayzomon.com, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And, I mean, I, I know it works because I, I get, you know, I get you guys saying stuff like, you know, why do you get so angry, brah? It's just a comic book, brah. I love it when they call me brah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, um, if I read something that I don't like about the X-Men, I will have a reaction, just to let you know, because I've been a fan for almost 30 years. Okay, so this one, this particular article, it reads, The X-Men Black Reveals the Secret Behind Apocalypse Rebirth. Okay, uh, let's find out. 
Uh, let's see, of course, customary warning. Warning. The following contains spoilers for X-Men Black Juggernaut number one by Lonnie Nadler, Zach Thompson, Geraldo Vargas, Rachel Rosenberg, and VC's Corey Petit. Now on sale. Okay, just had to put that out there. Disclaimers. Had to take a quick drink. <clears throat> this is, believe it or not, for today, this is my third podcast. My throat's getting a little dry. All right, and it says, While the X-Men Black series has placed a spotlight on villains like Magneto, Mystique, and Mojo, one of the big narratives coursing through the series of one-shots is the trial and tribulations of Apocalypse. In the backup story's first chapter, the millennia-old villain was shown experimenting on people on the South American islands, hoping to transfer his essence into, into a new body. However, his plans went awry and Apocalypse was sent hurling through space and time along the way, developing into a frail human. In the last chapter, the backup story in X-Men Black Juggernaut, in Sabanu, which is Apocalypse, has finally achieved his mission of being reborn in a perfect body, and the secret ingredient of his success is someone he thought he actually killed. And then I'm going down here, and there's a picture... This, uh, I think that's, wow, that's not really good artwork, guys. Um, I'm, I'm going to try not to complain about it, but it it's really crappy artwork. It would look like someone colored um, layouts. Okay, it says, Apocalypse experiments in the present day fell apart when a mental connection to his final subject, D, tossed him through space-time continuum, although we're uncertain if he ended up in the past or the future. Either way, Apocalypse became a pseudo-primate and was promptly taken prisoner by a bunch of homo sapiens led by none other than D. Or, as his subjects call him, Master Deoric. We have no clue how the test subject survived, as we thought he died in Mystique's issue. In that very moment which dispatched Apocalypse on his journey. Here, we find a healthy D, along with his minions, all fit in celestial technology, considerable, or coincidental, sorry, coincidental, coincidental because this same tech was used by Apocalypse to experiment on Din the first place. Now, their roles are reversed, with D experimenting on apes using the technology as well as the device Apocalypse was using to, per, to perfect, perfect 
his transfer. The Finch. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we're not given any insight as to what D is trying to accomplish, though, because he's using a lesser being in a primate form, form of Apocalypse. It's unlikely he's able to transfer consciousness into such a weak host after all. Nonetheless, D embarks on his experiment only to fail just like Apocalypse did the present day. This is because In Sabnu uses his reserve mutant power to grab D's hand, thus rewriting D's DNA with his own. The villain has finally attained the vessel he's been waiting for his whole life, reborn and ready to conquer the world. He wants to start his quest by first subjugating these minions, okay, uh, as well as the other primates running around this prehistoric, prehistoric era. In other words, Apocalypse is building an army. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I'll just keep reading. This does leave us with a few questions. First, who exactly was D? He proved to be the key for Apocalypse Rebirth, being the ideal vessel and whatnot. So could he have been a mutant we are already familiar with? Secondly, we're left wondering how D and his people end up with a celestial tech when they met Apocalypse after the time jump. We know Apocalypse studied this tech in the past and also had access to such science from celestial various visits to Earth. But D having access to the tech and being an expert in using it raises more questions than answers. We know he's got the finch when his men ambush Apocalypse, but it also remains a mystery as to how he was able to get the device working so easily, as well as how he ended up the same place in Sabu Jump to. Either way, Apocalypse has been reborn, claiming he has achieved total immortality. If he is indeed the past, one can only wonder how his craving for war will influence the, the present and, by extension, the future. There are many details we still don't know, so hopefully X-Men, Black, Emma Frost, closing chapter sheds some more light on Apocalypse's riveting adventure and the possible rewriting of history. Hmm. Um, okay, that is what happens when you are given a job to write something and you have no idea what the story is and who the characters are and their backstory and you just pull something out of your back end 
out of your bum, your butt, your gluteus maximus, your gluteus minimus. Actually, it's a com combination of gluteus minimus and maximus, but that's another story. And come up with the crap there. And I don't get the, the horrible artwork. It's just... I think this is the reason why I stopped reading the X-Men comics. is just because the stories are just really... You know, I'm not a big Brian Michael Bendis fan. I'll be the first one to tell you I, I don't like him. I don't like his writing. I've never liked his writing. I always thought, wow, you can't get worse than that crap. Well, I'm wrong. <laughs> I am seriously wrong. Uh, to be a kid. I wish I could be a kid again. And uh, be able to enjoy, you know... The, the things of kids back in the past, all everything was novel back then, you know? It was like, oh, you know, I remember watching cartoons and whatnot, and it was always fun. Ah, the days, huh? Now I'm going on a, almost a 42-year-old bitter old man. <laughs> um, you know, this brings me, not the bitter old man part, but the, the, uh, the cartoon. Um, and kids, my kids absolutely love the Teen Titans Go. In fact, in July, the the three of us, um, my son and my two daughters, we went to the movie and seen the two Teen Titans Go to the movies. And from that point on, there was there's been rumors that there's going to be a crossover of the universes between Teen Titans Go and the Teen Titans drama cartoon from previous and going through the list of stuff today i found it and it has been confirmed and the title says teen titans go versus teen titans confirmed for 2019 now this is interesting because how are they going to combine that because teen titans go was not a drama teen titans go is is for kids, is for, you know, like more like my girl's age, um, three and seven, you know, and as where I think if if I had to put a, an age on it, I think the original Teen Titans would be somewhere at least around the teen mark, you know, at least early teens, if not even a little bit more. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see how they would be able to t assemble the two two shows into you know you know what I'm trying to say it just I, I don't know it doesn't make sense because you're taking two genres and trying to mesh them together. Uh, okay, let's see what it says. It says the mid-credit scene of Teen Titans Go the movies teased the return of the original animated Teen Titans and Warner Brothers is determined to deliver next year in some form. A teaser surfaced online earlier this week for Teen Titans Go vs. Teen Titans, bring together the characters from both animated incarnations. The animated uh, is a the animation goes through thirty second clip, and it might have easily dismissed a clever fan creation. Uh, one. Or excuse me, io9.com has confirmed with Warner Brothers that it's legitimate. However, what exactly 
it is isn't exactly clear. All right. I'll... Let's find out. Why not? Let's find out. Let's see what happens. All right. And playing now. Let's give everybody what they really want to see. Titans go! Okay, that's interesting. What it was, what you're listening to, was um, a mashup of the the two of Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Their intros. It was just a mashup. Uh, um, it was interesting. Okay, okay. And it says the promo is included on a Blu-ray and DVD release of Teen Titans Go to the movies, arriving in stores on Tuesday. Cool. The kids will like that. I'll like it. I'll watch it again. Heck yeah. Um, perhaps then we'll get more information as to whether Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans is intended as a direct-to-video movie, Cartoon Network special, a release destination for DC Universe streaming service, or something else entirely. You know, I, I, <laughs> I paid for a month of the DC universe thing streaming and i totally slipped my mind and i had didn't even watch it that was a wasted couple bucks it wasn't that much but i wasted it uh it says the anime inspired teen titans aired for five seasons from 2003 uh to 2006 and inspired the spinoff successor the more slapstick teens titans go which provided wildly successful, yet never won any fans of the original. Well, see, I never, I watched Go, Teen Titans Go, before I seen any of that. Um, however, the devotees were given reason for hope in July when the mid-credits scene of Teen Titans Go to the movies, what, which depicted the heroes from the 2003 series trapped in Teen Titan or Titans Tower. Accompanied by transmission, well, st we're still here. We think we found a way back. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that, that, I don't know. I, I've always liked Teen Titans Go. I've just enjoyed it. It's a it's a fun. It's fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. It's fun. It's just something enjoyable uh, for the whole family. Um. You know, let's see. Where do we want to go here? Since we're, well, since we're talking about Teen Titans Go, which is, you know, a Robin, and Batman sends his Robins to go be trained in Teen Titans. So let's go ahead and jump over to, let's uh, see, what does it say? It says, after Affleck, a Batman Beyond film would save the DC Extended Universe. Yeah, yeah, I would. Well, number one, let me just say I liked Ben Affleck as Batman, so that's my thoughts on that. Um, I don't know what the hate was about. I thought he did a great job. But I would like to see a Batman Beyond movie, so I'm in for that idea. 
Okay, let's see what it says. It says, Warner Brothers isn't having the best year. Two of its big stars are rumored to no longer be playing Batman and Superman, and its latest crossover has been universally panned. Even by stalwart, stalwart Snyder fans, in addition, three of its other four DC films over the past five years have proven crappy. <laughs> Dividing fans and critics like no other superhero movie ever has before. If the studio's recent production choices and any of the indication Warner Brothers is currently dissatisfied with its original plans for the DC Extended Universe and has since tried to reshuffle its formula to cope. That's the problem. It's it's too wishy-washy. You, 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 you stick with your plan and see it through the end. You don't mid-shuffle. It's just not a good idea. And yet... This has only given Risen to more problems. Instead of refocusing its efforts on creative uh, cohesion and improvements and on fixing its relationships with the on-again, off-again director Zack Snyder, the studio is plagued by senseless needs to reboot. In its hopes to finally realign DC's overreaching movie narrative and satisfy its, divi its divided audience. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I liked it. I did. I, I liked. I don't know. I, and I do agree. They need to stop the uh, reboot franchising. That's the, it gets old. You know, just like. It, because every time you reboot, you're telling the same story over and over and over. And there's nothing really new visually to see. Uh, Warner Brothers has been doing that for the Batman for years, you know? Uh, it says, unfortunately, Warner Brothers' consist, consistent inconsistency has resulted in a fragmented version of DC Extended Universe. A brand of leadership that has begun to adversely affect DC Comics' most beloved properties, Warner Brothers' Batman solo film, for a sense, has been on hold for God who knows how long. And despite reports of Warner Brothers supposedly loving director Matt Reeves' initial screenplay, the movie is plagued by production problems of its own. For one thing... Actor Ben Affleck is reportedly not playing the Cape Crusader anymore, and there hasn't been any word on who will be taking his place. Little has been said about the type of Batman or Gotham the film intends to portray, other than a subtle change in tone. This has led fans to actively speculate on the actual status of Reeves' solo Batman film. If the film has somehow fallen prey to Warner Brothers' splintered leadership and consistently changing plans for DCEU, so far Warner Brothers has confirmed denied nothing. However, there is always out of a rabbit hole dug by Warner Brothers, 
and that is to set Reeves' Batman film as far as it can from the Affleck error. Okay. I, again, I, I thought Ben Affleck did a good job as Batman. I'm just saying. In setting storyline and tone, allowing the character and a surrounding lore to grow away from all the production problems while still releasing quality movies. Doing so would buy Warner Brothers just enough time to come up with more lasting solution. Again, you know, one of the best things that I was ever told was by a friend of mine, Terry D. Shearer, a long time ago. And I took it to heart and my life changed. And he goes, you would be really, really good if you were consistent and stuck to what you were doing. And that's the advice I give to Warner Brothers because they would be really, really good if they just stuck to the guns and played it out to the end instead of flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. Okay, back to the article. Uh, it says, And what better out-of-this-world story to adapt than Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Alan Burnett's 1999 hit Batman Beyond. Now, I am totally into that. I think that's a great idea. I would love to... I would love to see that in live action. I really would. Terry McGinnis uh, as Batman. I think that would I, I awesome. It would be awesome. But you know, you would have to. You would have to have. You would have to. Oh my God! It would be a miracle if it did. But it would be so cool if you got uh, Michael Keaton to play the old Bruce Wayne. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. All right. Again, back to the article. Warner Brothers' current problems resolve, revolve around its present vision for the DC Cinematic Universe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whether or not Snyder's vision was actually tasteless is debatable. The point is, Warner Brothers no longer wants anything to do with it and is looking for a way out. A live-action Batman Beyond is actually a permanent way out, but it is a temporary escape while Warner Brothers desperately tries to reprogram and understand its ideas. <laughs> uh, a Batman Beyond film could also allow DC Extended Universe to work out its studio-wide writer's block. Pretty much the one thing keeping Warner Brothers idle, erratic, and stubbornly unyielding, and enabled some of the of its films to finally move forward. In short, Warner Brothers needs to temporarily get its way away from its present vision of the DCEU to wiggle itself out of its rut. One way of sidestepping this would be to set Batman on a different point in the timeline or on a different Earth, similar to CW's Flash and Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. The Flash is set in different Earths and time periods, while Wonder Woman is set a far flung into the past. 
Aquaman features some ideas, the same ideas. Arthur Curry original film is set years before the events of Justice League, allowing the story some degree of flexibility. Todd Phillips' untitled Joker film is identical, conceptually identical, being set in a different version of Batman's world and acting as something that may or may not be Jared Leto's Joker in the origin story. Refocusing the film on the future events that is not affected or in any way limited by other stories occurring in the same time period will allow a Batman film to become much more of a standalone and stylistically independent. There's no risk of messing up a bigger narrative. And the cast and the crew are free to tinker with the elements as they wish. Which is why developing understanding like Batman Beyond. Set many years after the Justice League's glory days and featuring a retired and elderly Bruce Wayne would be such a game changer. Opting for a live action Batman Beyond instead of a prequel film. Also allowing filmmakers to step, uh, step, sidestep, excuse me, Bruce Wayne, by far the bigger element of contention in Matt Reeves' The Batman. A Batman Beyond film allows Warner Brothers to set aside worries about Wayne for a little while and refocus on another player who, with a similar character trajectory, Namely, a protege that could also theoretically take the same mantle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I'm totally digging this. This is totally making sense. Um, let me let's see what else it says. <clears throat> there are several characters that could replace Bruce Wayne as Batman in the future version of Gotham City, of course. First, Robin, Dick Grayson, is best known as Nightwing, but he already has a solo film planned. While the two subsequent Robins, Jason Todd and Tim Drake, are better known as Red Hood and Red Robin, respectively. This leaves us with two other contenders, Commissioner Gordon and Damian Wayne. Gordon's debut as Batman in Scott Snyder's Batman 41, while Damien adopted the cowl and Grant Morrison's Batman 666, set in a nightmarish future of Gotham City. Both were decidedly good runs, but these two are nowhere near as well-liked as Terry McGinnis, Wayne's other son, and Batman of, Batman of Batman Beyond. I totally agree with that, too. Um, a lot of people accept the fact that Terry McGinnis is the one who becomes Batman after Bruce Wayne. So, you know, again, that makes it's logically. Yeah, I mean, it, it just makes sense. Batman Prime to a mentor type role and. Shoving another Batman into the foreground will allow Warner Brothers to finally produce a Batman film without necessarily having 
to use Bruce Wayne, basically working around the original problem without actually dropping the clue that holds everything together. This is exactly what the idea behind canceling Marvel's Iron Fist, yet promising that he will continue to appear in other Marvel properties. Spinoff includes, you know, uh, Hank Prim still existing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yet handling the mantle of Ant-Man, or handing the mantle to Ant-Man to Scott Lang while Prim becomes his mentor. Same aspect. Makes sense, yeah? The method allows the character to live on in a story set in the same universe without actually needing to focus the spotlight on the same hero. It's a nifty workaround and might just be what Warner Brothers needs to get over the block. Moving on from Affleck and getting out of the rabbit hole. The script for Matt Reeves, the Batman, has reportedly already been written, so all this might be moot. But if Warner Brothers truly intends to carve a future away from Affleck's films, as well as everything else within the same breath, live-action film Batman Beyond is the way to go. As the original Beyond has proven, sometimes what might seem like the end could also be a new beginning. In the case of Warner Brothers and the DC Extended Universe, maybe the solution can be found by stepping forward rather than doubling back. You know, I, I it's a it's a great idea. It is a great idea. I think that. You should do it. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, I say you. I'm, I'm talking to the, you know, the producers over at Warner Brothers. I think that's a great idea. I think that it's a breath of fresh air to an old character, and it's not been done in a live action film ever. So, you know, I think it's a great idea. I think that we should do it, um, and. Yeah, let's do it, dude. Okay, uh, let's see. We are coming towards the end of this episode, and I'm looking at... Oh, where do I want to go? Let's see. I'm jumping over here because it says toy news. Expl uh, exclusive toy news brought to you by Toy Hype USA. I see. Uh, let's see. What does it say? It says we got one McFarland McFarland Toys uh, announce Fortnite seven-inch scale figures. Uh, okay, that's interesting. It says uh, these are just little blurbs that I'm giving to you uh, for any of you toy collectors out there. Uh, McFarlane Toys have announced their upcoming Fortnite 7-inch scale figures, and the first wave of figures are scheduled for release in November this month, 2018. Very cool. Okay. Then in the NECA, 
NECA NECA toys. It's 2017 Ultimate Pennywise Wellhouse figure. Oh, that is creepy. Holy cow, that is creepy. Oh, goodness. Uh, it says NECA toy announced that their upcoming it 2017 Ultimate Pennywise Wellhouse figure. The figure includes four interchangeable heads, new hands, and a fence post that can be used to impale someone. Oh, that's creepy. That is creepy. I like that. I want that. That'd probably scare the crap out of my kids, though. <laughs> okay. And let's see what else it says. Entertainment Earth Transformers Generation Powers of the Prime Deluxe Wave 3 in stock. Uh, and a very short blurb there. It says... Entertainment Earth has restocked three of Hasbro's very important Transformer Generations powers of the Prime Deluxe figures right now, which is the third wave of this line. Okay. I'm looking at this Joker. And you can go to, to see what I'm looking at, you can go to www.toyhypeusa.com slash category slash toy hyphen news and you can see all these toys um and it's uh dc bust universe toy news watch rick baker sculpt the joker's bust and new uh the new video but you know what that just that looks like crap it doesn't even look like the joker i mean yeah yikes a uh, little blurb down here says DC Collectibles sent along some new details in a video on their upcoming The Joker Bust by Rich Baker. Take a look at the video below and make sure you pre-order. Let's not take a look at the video because it just doesn't look appealing. Uh, let's see. For the Disney Star Wars fans out there, Disney Star Wars exclusive Spider-Man with Spider-Man's what? And why is it showing Star Wars? It's showing Yoda. <laughs> it really is. It's showing Yoda and Force Yoda. Uh, it's uh, Jedi Master and Force Spirit Yoda. That's what they're showing. But the uh, the title says Disney Store Exclusive Spider-Man with Spider-Mobile playset. Hulkbuster Deluxe and Star Wars. Oh, there it is. At the very, they're they're cramming it all into all into one. That's what it is. But yeah, that's kind of cool. And let's see. There's uh, Prime One Studios Batman Deluxe version status pre-order. Uh, that's pretty cool looking. It's uh, modeled after Dark Knight 3, which I couldn't finish reading, kids. Uh, holy cow. That's another. That's a, for a whole other show. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, Batman stands at uh, 32 to 40 inches tall, depending on which accessories he's holding. That's cool. And I'm just taking a peek to see if there's any more information that I can pass along to you guys. 
before I wrap up for this week. I don't see anything. Nope. There is a cool... Um, it's Hot Toys release official details an image of their upcoming Deadpool 2. Dusty Deadpool 6 scale figure. Dusty Deadpool features 30 points of articulation and stands over 12 inches tall. That's pretty cool. And just see. No. Okay, kids, that's it. That's all I see. Uh, we were able to get through a lot of stuff. So, all right, kids. Thank you for coming in. I hope I entertained you, gave you some information to take out for the week, and you guys can get together and nerd out with all, all your other friends. Come back next week, and we'll do it all over again as I dig up all this great nerdy stuff. Um, again, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like me to review, you can drop me an email at davidkmontoya at jayzomon.com, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com, or you can email the show at mypubliclife at jayzomon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com, and let me know, and uh, if it's a good idea, I'll, I'll definitely do it. So for my public life as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya, and I bid you all adieu.